Welcome to the Film Trooper podcast with your host, Scott McMahon. Hi, and welcome to Film Trooper, filmmaking freedom for the independent. Uh, This episode is sponsored by the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. It's available in paperback or as a Kindle ebook or iBook, an Apple iBook, as well as an audiobook. In fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you sign up with audible.com for 30 days. Just go to survivetheimplosion.com for all the details. Again, that's at survivetheimplosion.com. My guest today is Jason Cartellian. He's a filmmaker who's been working in Hollywood for, you know, well over 20 years, 20 plus years. He's actually a child of a very famous um, character actor who just recently passed away, uh, Buck Cartalian. He was in movies like Planet of the Apes, Cool Hand Luke, uh, Outlaw, Josie Wales, and tons of television. But Jason, not only is a filmmaker, but he's also worked on the distribution side of things. So I wanted to use this episode to have an opportunity to discuss a whole spectrum of things in terms of where the industry was, what the changes have happened, and where does the independent filmmaker fit into all this? And one of the first questions we kind of get into is like, well, how do you make a living, a full-time living as a filmmaker? And that can mean a lot of different things. And you'll hear us get into a lot of, you know, deep conversations about this kind of stuff. Now, I actually had recorded this episode many, many, you know, weeks ago. And I just was so caught up with other things that were happening. I just couldn't finish it. I couldn't publish it. I couldn't fix it up and get it out until now. Um... Since that time, a few things have happened. A lot of you have known that, you know, my father had passed away, which kind of threw a bump into my schedule. But soon after, a couple of weeks after that, uh, Jason's father had also passed away. You know, the father I was talking about, Buck Cartalian. So obviously this episode was, you know, recorded before all that stuff had happened. So my condolences go out to Jason and his family for his recent loss. And with that said, we go into some further discussions about his latest feature film, Seahorses, which has been touring the uh, festival, film festival circuit for well over a year and a half. And it's a personal film for him. And you'll hear in the interview why that is. And, you know, amongst all this discussion about, you know, how does it fit into the paradigm of what we consider, you know, the traditional means and ways of, you know, making and selling a film in the Hollywood structure in the, or the film market structure. Without further ado, here's my guest, Jason Cartalian on the Film Trooper podcast. Yeah, you know, the other, the other thing I found interesting uh, listening to some of your podcasts was really, uh, um, I feel like, a very valid and important um, point of, of, of like the, the concept of how do you actually make a living as a filmmaker? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and I don't think it, it, it's, such a, it's such a complex question because, there, you know, the, the, the filmmaking situation it's like a helix it's this this multi-armed monster and there's so many like little kids out there hustling and making a living in filmmaking um a lot of different ways and uh i mean you know it really i think it depends on what you mount how you sell yourself how you present yourself and uh you know i mean in you know i i, I speak from like I am definitely a crusty creature of Hollywood. So, uh, <laughs> so it, it's, I definitely understand that, that major question. And I, I see people do it all different ways, you know, and it, 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 there's no one single answer. It really depends on 
what you're making. Uh, um, a lot of beginner filmmakers make films on spec. You know, no one wants their film. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so they're yeah. making a film on a on a dream, on a prayer, on a you know. So there's a there's a lot of that element that 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 in some ways is important and needs to be encouraged, but also the 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 you know visualization and creating something that you know that Hollywood wants or that you can actually you know sell. Is mm-hmm. is also important. I mean, the the, the concept of seahorses. I made seahorses, you know, sort of because I didn't want to sell it. <laughs> it was very strange. I mean, I, I I had worked, you know, I'd made a horror film that sold around the world, and and I did a lot of that stuff that that sort of that whatever working filmmakers do. And now I have I have friends that make you know they're making. I have a friend that's making this like, you know volcano movie and uh, you know i was looking at the script i'm like i wouldn't want to touch this now you know just it's like it's like it's like what what level filmmaking excites you and what you know does you know what doesn't and if you if you find something that excites you you know hopefully you can turn that into a career one way or another you know just all sorts of different ways selling yourself as a writer uh creating a bigger project and finding money uh, you know all sorts of different ways to uh, you know, hustle. It's a hustle. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, so that's, you know, I mean, I, I, and, and, and there's a lot, I mean, you know, I mean, I think that the film industry, I mean, I don't know if you want to touch on this, but the film industry has a lot of, there's a lot of dark shades in the film industry and you know, people, you know, come to Hollywood. I'm a producer, you know, there, there's, <laughs> there's no, uh, uh, accreditation for being a film producer. You, you just say you're a film producer and, uh, there's a lot of people laundering money. There's a lot of mm-hmm. <laughs> dark forces that that make movies, you know. I, yeah. You know, and I see it. I see it all the time. You know, I, I know people that get involved in that stuff. Take and a... they're they're definitely making movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but you know, like the you're, there's a lot of movies, like in terms of like you know the caliber and pedigree and and you know um, where you fit into the whole scheme of things. Can you take us through a, like a quick like journey of like. How you Have got into this? Yeah, you know what? That was so great. I'm gonna actually ah. take. I'm gonna take it from the uh, first question where you brought up, like, look, what is this bigger question? Like, how does you? How do you make a sustainable living as a filmmaker? And I would love to explore this question in depth today to kind of to kind of get into, like you said, like, what does it mean? Like, in terms, of are you a cinematographer? Are you a writer? Or are you know when I say filmmaker, it's like, is that all encompassing? Like, if you or, are truly, are you a money yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, I'll get into it. Okay, anyways, yeah. So my, I'm I'm Jason Cartalian. Uh, um, I'm I've been in the film industry for 20 years. Uh, I've worked on all sorts of different things. I, I'm my strength is as a writer. Uh, um, I made a film called Seahorses that I'm I'm pimping out that's available on iTunes. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, I've worked in distribution uh, in a lot of different ways. I worked in domestic distribution. Uh, I've also worked in uh, foreign distribution, selling films to uh, the, the, the foreign territories. And uh, we were just touching on uh, making a living as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. right? As that was, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I see a lot of really interesting people in this town. I'm in Hollywood, uh, you know, just, just writing genre scripts, uh, uh, creating projects with name attachments, you know, finding names. Sometimes a little money can lead to more money, you know, uh, getting uh, attachments, finding actors, you know, there's certain actors that definitely appeal to genre. 
I see filmmakers going to comic book conventions and, you know, Comic Con and talking to actors and getting them excited about a project and and finding actors that have built in audiences. Uh, there's all these different ways to crack the nut and, and, and make projects that are viable and uh, uh, successful in the marketplace. Yeah, definitely. So I was wondering, do you think, I mean, the whole, if somebody's brand new, like you said, like you have these kids coming in or it's just somebody like on the outside or doesn't live in Hollywood and their understanding is like, okay, I've got to put, I got to make my film, but everybody tell you know, they're always hearing so many different advices, like, mm-hmm. you know, strong genre. What does it mean by getting an actor, like a name actor? Why is that important? And what are the mechanics of selling a film, you know, with your experience uh, working both domestic and, and international uh, distribution? Why is that important? Sort of just sort of like the status, let's say status quo, but what, what we've come to know as sort of like the film market. So like, if we're not playing in the Hollywood studio system, then we are in, the, in this independent system. And what is this like Holly, indie Hollywood system uh, and, and where the mechanics work like that? And then after we're done with that, we maybe, you know, can challenge it a little bit to see, you know, what, what is the new, what are new emerging models that are coming about? I mean, I mean, you say system, but it's, yeah. it's madness. It's anything. <laughs> Well, uh, we can, we I guess I can do that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's all sorts of crazy people uh, connecting, you know, going to nightclubs and talking to, you know, rap artists. Hey, do you want to do you want to put a song in my, my or do you want to act? Uh, it, it, you know, anything goes, especially in Hollywood. You know, you, you find different avenues that 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 that, that you feel, you know, you're strong at and uh, you focus in on those things. I mean. When you're, when you say kids starting out, I mean, you could be 50 years old and you get tired of, you know, your job and I'm going to make a film. I love mm-hmm. cameras. I like making films. It's, it's not necessarily anything. I think anyone can have a coming of age and make a film. And I definitely saw that when I took my film to a lot of different festivals. I met all different people, people from walks of life that made films, different age groups, uh, from young to old, uh, people with different perspectives. Um, but I, I think that Hollywood is about access. It's about getting access to important people. Okay, and if you're not important, and if you're just starting out, it's best to get people in your project that have some import. And even if it's you know you have a you know a, a low budget, you know finding you know, a low budget genre actor or an actor that some people know and people are, who's in your movie. Well. You know, this guy's in my movie. Oh, okay, I know him from here. I, I think that if you have to you have to spend more than two paragraphs explaining who this actor is, then <laughs> generally they're not anyone that you that that, that 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 is worth paying lots of money to be in your film. Uh, if you can just say it's this actor and they were in this film or they were in this project or this TV show, and pretty much, you know, Eight out of ten people know who that is, and that's a good that's a good start. So if you can ally yourself and connect with actors that have, um, you know, a, a, a pedigree, you're 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 forever connected with them with your project, and you and inha- and then you've you've made that little baby step towards, 
you know, whatever your goal is. I mean, it really depends on what your goal is, too. I mean, I, I think that a lot of filmmakers, and, and I think it's great, you know, they go into filmmaking, I got the story to tell, and they grab their cameras, and they go out there, and they shoot their film. Um, but I think that you can step back and say, okay, why am I making this film? Where is this film going? <laughs> what, what are the, are my expectations? Um, you know, it's good to have lofty goals, uh, it's also good to be realistic. Mm -hmm. uh, this film is based on a lot of, uh, you know, excitement and dreams, but it also is based on a lot of harsh realities. And uh, a lot of times, I mean, I, I, you probably heard this before, but when you finish your film, that's just the start of your journey. Mm -hmm. So with the with your time at the um, uh, distribution companies, as it mentioned, you were a vice president at Cinema... Um, Cinema Arts Entertainment. Thank you. Cinema Arts Entertainment. And so with that process, what was the incentive uh, of the of a company or most distribution companies? Um, are they looking to acquire a number of films to package them as like uh, like a like a bundle uh, to be sold in different territories overseas? Or but you also worked in the, you know the foreign distribution side of things. What are they looking for in terms of? market viability of, of types of films. Uh, I don't know, maybe kind of like unveil a little bit about um, th that world a little bit. There's a lot of veils to unveil, <laughs> especially okay. when you're talking about the, uh, the, the, the complex and, and, and unique business of, of fi the, the film industry. I, I think that, I mean, I worked in, in domestic distribution, you know, putting, putting films together based uh, and releasing them uh, on DVD back when DVD was, you know, I mean, uh, a, you know, more of a viable market. I think that the the line between domestic and international is blurring now as a lot of international entities are distributing their own films and putting their films out on uh, on demand and VOD and and uh, there, there's definitely a lot of different relationships. I mean, I, again, I want. There's a caveat to this. Mm -hmm. I don't want filmmakers to think that selling your film to distribution is the holy grail. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, filmmakers lie on Facebook. Oh, I made it. I signed. You know, they signed. They signed the contract. Right. You know, sometimes those contracts don't go well. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure you've heard many stories of sadness and woe when a filmmaker signs a contract and their, you know, their their films title gets changed they get a trailer they don't like and then they're, they're sad and, and and their expectations are you know are not are not met um i think that i, I see it from both sides i see it from mm -hmm. the distributor side which you know their their job is to take a film and exploit it and make money with it and the filmmaker side and their their job is they want their film seen and they want to make their money so sometimes those are diametrically opposed, especially in this very competitive marketplace where there's a lot of films and not as much demand as there used to be for films. So, uh, I mean, distributors are looking for genre elements, name attachments, films they can, you know, put out there. There's some distributors that are just looking to like stock as many films as they can and put it in their war chest or push the films out uh, on on demand or if they have, you know, they can they can they can package films 
uh, and, and, and sell like blocks of films to smaller territories. Um, so I, I mean, especially let's say like if, if they had a really good experience with, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, some type of zombie film and then they have a similar zombie film, they can plug into the same buyers. Uh, so, so definitely they're looking for, you know, things that they can sell. Uh, um, I think that when a filmmaker is doing their due diligence, which they should, um, they need to find out what type of films these distributors distribute, uh, what their specialty is, if they're a foreign entity or domestic entity. Um, you know, they definitely, it, it really helps to get legal advice to make sure the contracts they sign are, you know, uh, you know, give them a fighting chance to make their money, uh, to, to get, uh, to have, um, uh, their, you know, their needs met. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, so, so, so basically I think that distributors are looking to make money. Filmmakers are, are looking to make money. If those two things dovetail, if you have a film that the, just many distributors want, then the chances are that you'll be able to make money and negotiate a decent deal to, you know, ev so everyone, everyone's happy. Yeah, so the, if we take like um, take a trajectory, so someone makes a strong genre film, and when we say strong genres, just meaning that um, there are particular genres that are more marketable or easier to sell uh, globally than others. Um, I'm assuming that's why horror. They talk about the horror genre because it's uh, pr uh, primal, meaning that you necessarily don't have to have a, a known star. Um, but if the if the horror is um, easy to understand, that that can be translated very well overseas because it's uh, it's no longer a language barrier. Uh, I remember American comedies were very difficult because the language barriers or people getting the jokes. And uh, for the longest time, you know, someone like Rowan Atkinson was the number one worldwide uh, comedic star because he was all physical and so physical comedy allowed you know uh, break down any language barriers across the world which is why they were saying dramas in terms of a uh, genre are very difficult uh, unless you have a name uh, name actor or name star and Jonathan Wolf who heads up the IFTA and AFM he was talking about this is sort of like the last hold that the the American um, cinema or f film industry has, which is the star system. As soon as like there's, he was mentioning as soon as there's a worldwide, another, like um, an actor, a, a star from another country outside of the, the Hollywood system, you know, breaks through internationally, then you can start seeing uh, chipping away at sort of this star system. And so with all that said, that's, that's to make it easier for a distribution company to sell it worldwide. Um, what, if I understand correctly, if if a, if a filmmaker um, is expecting to get a deal, or the, that's why everybody's telling them to like strong genre, get a star, it makes the job of the distributor easier. Um, and when you were working with distribution and dealing with like DVD sales and so on like that, what was sort was there a was it a common business model of like okay, great, we have these set of films, uh, this set of genre. Can, we can bundle this and then sell it to, um, we know we're going to get this many, you know, sell-throughs 
uh, for DVDs. I, I was curious, like, if what we can learn from what's happened since DVDs are on the decline and, you know, more people are we're getting used to more uh, the video on demand platforms. Uh, I'm trying to look at like, look back at history or see where it has been traditionally and then where it may be going. So we can kind of like have an idea of um, how best to um, position our films. Well, well, I mean, okay. Okay. We're also talking about films that are made on spec. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's also people like I, the production companies like the asylum. Okay. They know exactly where their films are going. Okay. They're making. They have an output deal with Sci-Fi. They're making films for a lifetime now. They make TV series now. Uh, uh, there's companies like Mar Vista and Cinetel. They make strictly genre films. They know exactly what they need. They know the name attachments. They know who to put together. They know who to plug in to sell to Germany, Japan. Uh, to get their domestic deals set in place. They know how much the budget is, and then they know how much they're going to make on top of that budget. These films are crappy. They're not good. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I know I have friends that make these films. You know, no offense. You know, uh, um, you know, some of them might have a cool little vibe. They shoot them very quickly in less than 10 days. Um, so um, when you're making a film on spec... You know, obviously, you know, I mean, you know, you do you make decisions that that hopefully, you know, will help the film's success, depending on what what you consider the film a successful film. I mean, if you have a a, a film about, uh, you know, I don't know, polar bears, you know, there might be a great you know, market for people who like nature and polar bears. I mean, I, I just think that. You, you definitely need to make a film that you're passionate about. There, I, you know, my friend who makes the, the killer dinosaur shark movies, mm-hmm. you know, he's very passionate about that. He likes monsters. You know, that he go for it. It makes him excited to see people getting their heads chopped off with the, you know, bitten by the monster in the head. Right. Uh, so, you know, and, and you know, people, I, I love the, the George Romero zombie movies. You know, I like the political slant to those films. Hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully even when you make a genre film, you have, more thought into it when you make those films to you know so that so that when you look back at the film you go oh that was you know i you know my intentions were there even though you know i totally sold out um i i i think when we we're talking about what let's say like afm okay okay i've been going afm for 15 years Mm -hmm. okay and i don't know jonathan wolf might curse me but that's (laughs) a dying market yeah um, it's a it's a market of have and have nots. You have these low level distributors making, you know, having films that have you know two hundred thousand dollar films making five thousand, ten thousand dollars a territory, and then you have the big guys making really big deals. You know, the Lions Gates and the, you know, I don't know HBO Films and the, you know, then you have with, you know major name attachment it's really it's really you know the best of times and the worst of times together you know you have you have these the these major sexy oscar winning oscar potential films and then you have the rest you know just hustlers people trying to make you know scrape together money to make the budget of their films uh you know a lot of other stuff so so you i mean i think that you have to step back, look at the industry, and and look beyond the smoke and mirrors that whatever, you know, I mean, however they're trying to spin the industry. AFM has spent 
the last three years marketing to filmmakers, mm-hmm. which I feel is ill-advised because it's, it's not a good place for filmmakers. It's not a good place for art. Um, I, think that, <laughs> yeah. I think that you can get the same information just going on the internet saying, okay, what does you know, distribution company X distribute? I mean, I think that if you're really into genre films and you, you, you have, like, I love a movie with Kevin Sorbo or whatever, uh, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can go ahead, attach your film with Kevin Sorbo, and then start knocking on doors. I know people that work AFM, okay? And they make, you know, low-level genre films. I, mean, I, I sound so, I don't know, arrogant when I say low-level <laughs> genre. Genre is fun. I like genre. I don't want to say, you know, however, there's a lot of people going in that direction, and they think that, you know, if they can put some guy with, you know, makeup on and have him run around, they can make some type, you know, oh, someone will buy it. Um, you can't really make, a, if you're spending real money on a film, you can't make the film on assumptions. you got to do your homework before you make the film. I see. And, yeah. you know, I, and not only that, you can't even chase trends. I mean, I, I remember one year, you know, there was a, there's a lot of these filmmakers that come around the office and they would, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing, uh, you know, our discovery. You know, what type of film are you guys are interested in? And, you know, there's some people, oh, yeah, families in, you know, talking dog movies. You know, they're really great. And then the next year it's like, oh, no more talking dog movies. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, and then there's like, I, I remember, um, I guess, because of paranormal activity, a lot of people are making, you know, haunted house movies Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, yeah, it's cool. You know, haunted house movies are fun. I think it's fun to work within limitations, but when there's a lot of haunted house movies, when there's like, you know, 50 to choose from, you know, you'll just pick the best ones, (laughs) Right. you know? So, so I, I think, I think the thing is, is to, to stay close to your voice, make films that you're passionate about, and uh, try to hedge your bet by embracing what you feel the, the market, you know, is going to embrace. Uh, try to build your stature by, by, by allying yourself, connecting people with a pedigree that have, had, have been there before. Um, I, think, I think learning your stuff, making a good film, that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes people make great films and nobody sees them. Some people make crappy films and everybody sees them. I mean, they get on Netflix. I see them all the time. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, and sometimes it's a question of timing. Uh, Sometimes, you know, there's, you know, there's a dearth of product that doesn't have like maybe like sexy stuff or maybe some nudity. And then Netflix will put it on because they, you know, they want to have a little an edge on the racy material or they look at their schedule like, Oh, well we need, you know, family films, you know, and also it's very difficult for filmmakers to go directly to Netflix. You definitely need to go through a distributor. Uh, these like Netflix, Hulu, some of these other, you know, larger entities is you either have to go through an aggregator or go through uh, a distributor to get your film placed on these on these places because they're not going to just look at one film. They, they're they're going to look at, uh, you know, 40 films, 20 films. So, uh, you know, you definitely do have to make some type of business arrangement with a distributor. What, um, what aggregation service did you, uh, end up going with for getting seahorses on iTunes, Google play and Amazon instant video. Thanks for the, the plug. Uh, <laughs> um, we went with uh, a bitmap. 
Bitmax. Okay, good. Bitmax. And uh, yes. I, I felt like that was the most direct route. And they, they actually are a, uh, I mean, I'm not doing a commercial for them, but they're, they're they definitely are a, um, I've had Jay on my podcast before. So, okay. He's yeah. the scripper. Uh, no, well there's, there's Jason from, oh, Jay, okay, Wait, sorry, there's Jay, um, I forgot his, his last name, but Jay's from, Dis, um, Bitmax. Okay, no, no, Jay yeah. Friedman's with, uh, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah, Jay's great. Um, he has a really cool watch by the way. <laughs> It's like one of those Bulova like vintage '70s watches that light up like like '70s. I, I think of the '70s when I see it. Um, so, so tell us your experience with yeah, working with them. Yeah, I, I felt like they were a, a direct route because they're one of the five um, encoders in North America that go directly to iTunes. So if you look on like let's say you go to like Apple site and you look for you know encoders. <laughs> They're on the they're on the list, so I figured they, they were uh, the most painless route to getting your film on uh, on iTunes on that platform. Um, I mean, I had other dis- distribution options, mm-hmm. but I, I liken it to like you can make sign a deal with a distributor, and it's like going to you know one of those swanky you know, uh, resorts and you get, you know, you get a cocktail and you sit on the stage lounge or you decide to be adventurous and you decide to take hikes in the, in the, in the wilderness. And that's, that's my thing. I'm, I like going on the hikes. I like going. So I decided to take, you know, the more adventurous route with uh, self-distribution. Mm-hmm. And I, I really feel like that's um, a, a very viable route for filmmakers you know, however, the real challenge is these companies are basically FedEx, UPS. Right. They, are, they will just deliver your content to the place, okay? It's your job to get the eyeballs there. It's your job to, to, to pimp it out on Facebook and get your, your, your actors to pimp it out. And we did a, we did a theatrical in L.A., and uh, we got coverage in the LA Times, and we we pushed it out, and you know, you, and sometimes that costs money too. I mean, uh, one of the little dirty secrets of of uh, distribution too is you know sometimes you have to pay. You have to pay a, a PR person. You maybe you have to pay some of these you know I don't know editorial outlets to uh, you know shine a light on your film. And um, yeah. I was so, say so, so again, it's not it, it, just so just because you get your film up there doesn't mean people are going to see it. You're going to download it. it, it the, the, the challenge is for you to get the eyeballs on your film, for you to get people to buy your film, for you to get people interested in your film. I feel like there's a lot of different ways. I mean, we went we had a year and a half of film festivals that we did to build, you know, laurels and awards and all different things. And uh, you I also I also encourage filmmakers to just enjoy the experience uh-huh. you know, uh, because, the, you know, it's great going to film festivals. It's great getting your film out there. It's great having great experiences on social media and meeting new people, you know, you know digitally and and in person. Well, did you okay. with the I'm sorry, with the the film festivals, um, the run for a year and a half, um, was there. Did you have a, a game plan in terms of like uh, which festivals you were going to go to? And was it 
to see whether or not the film would be discovered or was it was it going to always be uh, served as like a marketing platform or sort of like your it almost became like your theatrical release plan you know like hey here it is we're gonna hit the festivals and and with those particular festivals did you have previous um relationships with any of them before that helped you know um down the line for other festivals that were like a cold submission yeah well you know it's interesting uh, uh, it's interesting you bring that up i mean i did have a, a relationship with this festival dances with films in, mm-hmm. in la uh because they played my first film like many many years ago and so but it was like it was like connecting with people like old lost relatives basically right, right. Because, because they you know I, I mean literally i i mean i made i made a horror film that I didn't submit the festival i think it just played hole in the head in san francisco but but anyway um uh, yeah so so i had a relationship with dances we actually did our world premiere of dances and then you sort of have you know they're, they're definitely you're, you're you know once you get it in a festival like that you know sort of your antennas up there's sort of a um you know, people know that your fit films around. I didn't really have a scientific experience. It was kind of like this <laughs> thing where it's like, oh, you know, I've never been to uh, Hawaii. Let me submit to Hawaii. You know, oh, no, I've been to Hawaii, but I've never been to the Big Island. I'm like, okay, I'll go to the Big Island. You know, it was like literally like, oh, Seattle. I like Seattle. You know, I submitted to Stiff and then Stiff, and we got in Stiff, which was great. I, I had a great time at Stiff and met some great people in the Northwest. Uh, I know that's where you're you're, mm-hmm. you're up there and. Uh, a uh, big shout out to Brian Pattian and uh, um, uh, and uh, Ballard uh, up there, um, but I think that I, th- I think that like like I went to um, I went to um, Big Island and Big Island led to another festival called Gig Harbor, mm-hmm. and which is up in in Seattle. And so there was like you start getting invites once you start meeting people and start connecting with people. So there's definitely um, a relationship. As per game plan, I'm like, oh, I want to play the East Coast. You know, we got to play. I, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, the dream is to play Toronto. We didn't play Toronto. We played Toronto Indie. So you know, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but again, it's it's right during Toronto. So it's like, hey, what a great experience. Go to Toronto. Go get, experience the Toronto Film Festival. You know, show your film at Toronto Indie. Um, and, uh, you know, have that experience that, uh, you know, and, and, and meet people connect with interesting filmmakers. You know, one of the best experiences I had was a gig Harbor where we were just like, they, they had us all on houseboats with filmmakers and we just, we just partied the whole weekend. And it was, you know, it's great meeting filmmakers. Um, it's great seeing that experience. Um, also it's great. You sort every Every film fe- film festival, you start building a little bit of a new group and following. We played this festival in Sydney called Sydney Indie, and and uh, you know we won an award there, and it was like really cool. And it, you know you have a little bit of a footing there, and then you know I feel like we have a little bit of footing in Seattle because we played twice there, and uh, uh, there, there's there's this festival uh, first glance. Um, uh, that's in Philly and we played there and they have a very good, um, Twitter following. And so you get the voice, you know, every, every festival brings a new interesting way to market your film and to create and spin an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely think that it's not a bad thing when your film get in fe- gets in festivals and it's 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 a great experience, you know, just meeting people and seeing new places. 
Um, I, I think you do definitely have to be a little judicious about what festivals to attend. I mean, I, I, I did research the festivals. I tried to be in festivals that were like 10 years or older. Um, and I tried to, you know, see the films that were, you know, in previous festivals that sort of felt like they matched the, the, the my film matched their sort of programming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so all sorts of things that, you know, all filmmakers do when they're pushing the film out. I mean, in a business sake, I didn't, when I made Seahorses, I didn't think about, let's say, like, let me make a film for the people. I made the film for myself. It was a very deeply personal film about experiences I had, uh, you know, with my family. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, let's say, you know, when, when, when we step back and we say, okay, what are the business decisions for making this film? You know, I, I kept the budget very low. I made a very, very small parlor piece. We shot it quickly. Um, so it wasn't necessarily, let's say like a film that I say is this money-making business adventure. Um, I I think that, you know, we all make films for different reasons, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, you know, you know, our parents get old, you know, you know, we have, we have, uh, uh, we're dealing with loss. Maybe we need to say something or, or share that feeling. Um, and uh, sometimes we just love, you know, some kind of crazy, you know, monster movie where, you know, we're, you know, and, and, and the experience of camaraderie of working on a crew and, and, and getting together and making something crazy or making things that inspire you, that maybe that's the reason why you want to make a film. And uh, getting distribution and going to film festivals, just the icing on the cake. So it really depends on what your expectations are. I, I just find it. When, 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 you know, when a, when a filmmaker or one of these, you know, I don't know, filmmaking gurus says, oh, yeah, all you have to do is get $10,000 and two people in a room and you'll, you know, you'll, you're on your way. You know, that's, it, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Can I ask you with the a year and a half touring the film festival circuit, um, what was the between travel and submission fees? Is there a ballpark like a uh, number like filmmakers can expect to to pay out or did it become a profit? Uh, was there something in the scheme of things that allowed you to get uh, free travel or free submissions, you know, things like that? Just so that, you know, I, I don't want to like give like a filmmaker this concept of like they're they're listening. OK, cool, cool. So, yeah, I make a film, maybe like submit and try to do like a year and a half without really knowing like what kind of, you know, expense am I looking to put into that kind well, of world? Well, originally, originally I was just going to do a half of the year. Um, but, but what happened was we just, the, the first, the first half a year we got into like maybe like six or seven festivals. And then all of a sudden we got accepted to a bunch of other festivals. And actually the second leg of the, the run was actually much, I mean, I don't know, fruitful with mm-hmm. awards and things like that. I mean, we, we won a best picture at, at, at stiff, um, you know, and, and we started, we started garnering like, you know, acting awards and cinematography awards and stuff like that. And it was, it, it, it's just great morale for the people, who, you know, and it's great to be with people that, you know, you know, that are proud of what they've done, you know, and, 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 and allow your, uh, you know, allow, allow, allow to, to be with people that, you know, you, you know, you have a great, interesting shared experience. I, I think, I think that, when it comes to expense, I mean, I, I, you definitely need to put at least two to three thousand dollars in submission fees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
I mean, I've been told that like if you have an excellent film, you have a one in chance, uh, excuse me, one in 10 chance of getting your film in a festival. And that's if you have an excellent film. So, I mean, and I mean, I got, obviously it's all depending on, you know, the festival, but, but, you know, I was told, you know, by, by one, you know, mid tier festivals, that's generally the, you know, submission rate, you know, usually you, you know, they, for every, you know, you know, whatever, hundred excellent films, they put, they'll pick 10. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, those odds are not great. <laughs> so, you know, you have to submit to a lot of festivals, um, and do your homework. Um, sometimes you get waivers. Sometimes you get, you know, I mean, if it doesn't hurt to ask, sometimes you get, uh, free lodging because of sponsorship. Sometimes you get free, um, you know, um, plane, plane flights, you know, and, and, you know, it, it really, it really depends. I, I really see, you know, if you ask something you receive and, and once you get in, you know, you know, a lot of the smaller festivals don't have a budget for pretty much anything. I mean, but, but even some of the smaller festivals definitely have room for lodging, especially like a little town. You know, they'll they'll ally themselves with, you know, a hotel or a, uh, um, you know, a different, you know, a, a you know, a, some type of, um, you know, even even you can stay with uh, one of the volunteers. They might have an extra room. <laughs> so I, I think that if you submit and get in festivals and be judicious about the ones that you attend too. some, you know, sometimes you can't attend every festival. Right. Um, but, but it does help. I mean, it helps with the, the status of your film. I think that every film festival is a story that you can create from a beginning, middle and end from, uh, promoting the film festival, you know, in the local media, to uh, presenting the film and then to the aftermath of having, you know, what a great experience you have. So you can tell every film festival, you can tell an interesting story, hopefully not the same story over and over again, because, you know, you don't want people don't want to hear the same story over and over again. They want to hear different, unique experiences. And what's cool is you definitely if you can interact and connect with filmmakers, that's the best. And the best thing you can do at a festival is um, support other people's films. It's so it's so messed up too. You fly to Hawaii, and you're you're on literally this, this the Big Island Film Festival is on is at this resort in Hawaii, and you're on the beach, and then you spend most of the time in a in, you know watching movies, mm-hmm. not in a dark room. Most of the films are, are they they project on the beach, but <laughs> but definitely you're watching films, and you're not necessarily doing a lot of action sports or running around. Uh, but but that's that's how you connect with filmmakers. You you see their films and you interact with them and you have a drink afterwards, um, and and that's these are enriching enriching experiences that um, you, you know and, and relationships you'll have for the rest of your life. What was the um, what was the budget if you can d- divulge it uh, for Seahorses? It was under a million dollars. Okay, there you go. Uh, no, no, no. I, 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 the budget was whatever I, I had. I had a certain amount of money that that I was kicking around. That, and then I have a lot of little favors here and there that I can mm-hmm. do because I, I I have a lot of different businesses. I I work in um, um, camera rental. Uh, I, I promote for this other uh, camera rental company. There's there's all sorts of, of of interesting things that I did to be creative to make the film, you know, look as big as it did. I see. Um, so, but you know, I, I 
the budget was very low. Yeah. Um, mainly it's one of those, you know, indie films with, you know, two people in a room. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's other locations and other places, but, but it, it really is a story about a human story about two people. And, uh, um, what really surprised me was the way, you know, certain people react to the film and it connects and, you know, people feel when they see it. And that, and that's very rewarding when I, when I feel like we've made something that, you know, connects with an audience or connects with people or, you know, people understand or have a shared experience. I think that's a very rewarding thing when you make something that we're, we're here to communicate as filmmakers. Have you seen, um, you know, through this journey of making the film and uh, traveling and touring within a year and a half, like you said, connecting with other filmmakers, um, what has been, has there been a, a result, uh, an unforeseen sort of result from this experience, maybe in terms of other opportunities to make another film or, you know, like what, what's the next steps after the, now that uh, Seahorse is available on iTunes, yeah, yeah. Instant and Google Play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you again. Um, um and oh, also, if you want to connect with me, I, I have a website, jasoncartalian.com. You connect to all the social media, and I got like blogs on thing on what I think about the industry and stuff like right. that. More information about what we talk about too. Um, I think that it's made me much more tolerant <laughs> and less angry because I feel like you know. I, I mean, I. I get, I get to a point where you can get very frustrated with the industry. And I, I did a lot of writing and I, I worked uh, on, a, on a larger project. I've worked on a, several larger projects and, and, and some of those projects were not fruitful. Um, and I got very frustrated. You know, you write something and maybe you get paid a little bit or you paid something, but you, you know, they never get, they never see the lighted day or, or people end up arguing about, money that doesn't exist or there's a million producers you know jerking the project from one place to another and then you you know you don't want an actor connected to this project because you don't you don't like their work and then they're connected to that project and you know all sorts of things that 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 you know the hollywood hustle you know creates you know i i don't necessarily have a lot of patience for um working under those circumstances where you know, we got to make it any means necessary. Um, I, I feel like I, I, w- I want to level quality of what I do. And uh, I feel like Seahorses was a reaction to that. You know, I, I, I worked on this, I, I was working on this project that was a TV series and it literally went through, I mean, we had 20 producers on the show and every, the script kept on going through all these different revisions and everyone was trying to pull the script in different directions and I just walked away from it because what I had created was not what was being made. Mm-hmm. So so in essence I, I feel like that that's that I mean that's the joy of making films on spec, you know, the joy, you know, being able to create with your own vision and not feeling, you know, you know, locked in a box or or, you know, some people like, you know, working under you know, restrictions or, or have no problem saying, Oh sure. Oh, you want uh, you know, a, a three headed shark in, in the last act. Perfect. We'll put it in there. 
you know, I, what, I, I'm just, I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. you know, literally they'll do what it takes because they just, they they want their, they, they want to make a living in the town, you know, and, uh, Hey, no, no offense. That's a good way. You know, that's a lot of people built their careers on following orders, but a lot of people also have built their careers on creating their unique vision. And I think that that's important too. So, so I, I, I'm I'm happy that I was able to realize this film, work with some amazing people, have great experiences, get it out there, uh, put it out in the marketplace so it's available for the world to see, um, and uh, move on and make films similar to it. Um, but you know, again, these films are definitely, you know, not not hugely marketable, but. Again, my expectations were not high because I know the know the industry. Right. I, I just two more things I want to uh, kind of talk to you about before kind of wrap it up in the hour. But um, you mentioned a little bit. I'm going to backtrack a little bit to we were talking about AFM and also working when you were working uh, selling movies to the DVD sector. And but you also mentioned that the AFM you have this lower it's like the lower rung sort of um, distribution companies that are selling. Uh, films uh, property to different territories for as low as five to ten thousand dollars, whereas the the bigger a thousand dollars, five hundred dollars. There you go. There, thank you. No, no, it's perfect. Five hundred. This is this is what's that's important to me, so that it kind of unveils sort of this like misnomer of you know somebody a filmmaker from I don't know Kentucky is like oh my god I got it picked up by a distribution company and mm. they're and. And I it, it got sold. So then they go sold to what? It got sold to like a South American territory for five hundred dollars. Well, they're not going to say that. Yeah, no, no, I know. But <laughs> but no, but that's what that's what your what your past experience would help to to kind of just unveil like like you know I you know, you know the other thing too is there's there's so many things that are spun, you know, like. Like, like, like I, I read in the trades, you know, or I'll see something on Facebook. I'm like, oh, we sold our movie, you know, and then I look and I'm like, okay, I know that sales agent. Mm-hmm. I know the territories they sold. Okay. They made less than $20,000 selling those three territories, but they were able to connect with a PR person or they hired a PR person or they, or it was a slow news day at variety or what, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, but the perception is, Oh, they got their movie sold to all, you know, these four territories, you know, I, I just, I, again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe they did make, you know, you know, $800,000, you know, selling to Japan. I just know that, um, it really, Okay. There's certain actors of certain values. They know they have monetary value. They know that, like, there's an actor knows that knows, you know, I'm worth twenty thousand dollars. I'm worth fifty thousand dollars in Germany. Okay, those are the, those are the actors you hire so you can sell to Germany, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can sell to Japan, so you can sell to all these different territories. And there's films that are cobbled together with international talent and different people that that will sell the film. But but again, uh, when I say sell for five hundred dollars, I, I mean you know, I mean literally. You know some of the smaller territories, like South Africa, uh, Russia. Um, the, these are things where you know they'll they'll bundle together twenty films and they'll sell them for you know a few hundred bucks, a thousand dollars. I mean, I mean, the I mean the other so and, and not only that, the cost of deliverables sometimes costs more than the <laughs> the uh, 
the actual film, the, you know, the, the actual film being, being presented. When I mean deliverables, I mean M and E. I mean, most filmmakers don't even know what M and E are, is. M and E are, is, whatever. M and E is music, M and E is music and effects. It's separated from the dialogue track. If you have any sound effects on your dialogue track, like door shut, you need to take them off that and put it on a separate dialogue track so that when it goes to Mexico, they can put a Spanish track on your film that has the sound effects on a separate track. So that's music and effects, M and E. So, right. so, so I, I just think that, you know, you, you have to be aware of the stark realities of making a, a, either a no budget, low budget film that doesn't have, you know, that doesn't have big business behind it. Um, and, and, and be aware that there's, you know, there's ways to play with the big boys. It's just sometimes it costs money. Sometimes it takes relationships. <laughs> uh, sometimes it takes a little of both. Sometimes it's timing. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's, there's also... The, the, thing, the thing that kind of kills me about this business is I wish that quality was more important than it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, that's, and that's the thing. I, I just feel like you know, it's not a fair world. You know, people can slave and work on something and, 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 and really speak from the heart and make something beautiful and they won't get any attention. And then someone could just throw something together with, with the worst intentions and everybody in the world sees it and gets all excited and, you know, pats everyone on the back and, you know, and builds their career on what, you know, whatever on that. So, but I, I mean, I, I feel that I feel hopefully it's a, a little bit of both. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you have quality and you have a little bit of your you're, you're also scheming on how to. OK, how am I going to take over Hollywood? Because, you know, the big dragon of Hollywood, the monster that is Hollywood that writes all the checks, it's still alive and it's there writing checks. Hopefully it'll write it to you someday. <laughs> and so the with this aspects of like you're saying like on spec and you're having a, a very tiny film and the expectations of selling it to a distribution company, um, understanding the reality is that, you know, they could be as small as $500 sales to different territories if you're lucky, um, or, like you or, said, or go bigger. Yeah. Bigger. I mean, it depends on the territories. It depends on the title. It's all different. And then here's the, here's the other thing too. And, you, and this is something that I don't know if you, you know, you've discussed this, when you get into a relationship with a distribution company, it's like a marriage, okay? If you're going to marry someone, you have to be careful, <laughs> okay? So you are, you are getting into a contract situation with someone, okay? So that's important. It's important to do due diligence. It's important to do your research. It's important to do a lot of things before you sign on the dotted line, Okay. And there's all sorts of things that you can do to make sure that, you know, if things don't work out, that you can get out of that contract. Um, if the, 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 the company's culpable so that they, you know, the promises that they've made are down in paper. And if they don't meet those promises, that you can walk away. Uh, that there's terms, hopefully short terms and not like long-term 10-year, 15-year, 20-year deal. Hopefully it's, you know, three years. I'm, you know, a lot of these mm-hmm. guys want to tie you up forever. So, you know, I mean, obviously when you're a filmmaker, you got to be careful, 
you know, who you're working with. And on the, on the flip side, when you're a distributor, you got to be careful what filmmakers you're working with because filmmakers are insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you've been on the other side, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it was, I was like, if somebody had like, I made a fifty thousand dollar film, I got a distribution deal. Um, I understand through you know the numbers. It looks like we sold it for like it made fifty thousand, but made mean like we backtrack from there. You said there's the deliverable expenses plus any insurance expenses plus the cut of the. Uh, um, the distributor, a uh, distribution distribution company. Plus, that leaves you, the filmmaker, the producer, of the holding the chain of title. Maybe like I don't know. I'm just throwing up a number like ten thousand. So the idea is that then that leads to the bigger question we had at the beginning of our conversation was if this is the model per se, then how does a filmmaker who is someone who's writing, directing, editing, making everything on their own on a small scale, how do they make a sustainable living if they- if yeah, the market that they sell it to is so the, – the numbers, like you said, you, you have to almost get it to a, a larger number. You almost It's almost worth you know making something for a lot more because the, the return could be a lot more to pay basically for your uh, salary or your fee. Is- yeah, yeah. Well, well, it depends. Again, this is all about objective and scale. I mean I think that um, – I mean if you make a $100,000 film – and you pay yourself ten thousand dollars to make the movie. Yeah, actually, that's that's a good, <laughs> that's a good point because it's like um, uh, the, or, the, okay. that's. A, I want to make sure we like really highlight that is that majority of the the way the current system works in terms of film markets is that when you hear everybody trying to get their budget, the once the budget is met, once money is raised for that budget, within that budget is the actual fees that pay your services as a writer, director, editor, whatever it might be. And so those are the jobs. So you, you you won the deal, you got the budget so that you can have a bit of a salary or a fee. And then you try to rinse and repeat that over and over with every deal. But it, you know, I think there's this misnomer is like if you make something and it gets sold, like that's what you're living off of. It's it's the same concept of a, an author who's writing a book who's, you know, hoping that the book hits and that's what they're going to live off of. So it's, it's really difficult to make money on a $50,000 film. Right. Okay? Because it's cutting to the bone. And there's very little money for 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 name talent or or salary and when they say when okay, so deliverables generally are paid for let's say like the, 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 the person like, like Japan will buy the deliverables. But when, let's say like you get your film, re- I'm preparing your film for being delivered. Let's say like getting M&E, getting sound effects, getting all that stuff that costs money. Um, you know, you, but you are cutting to the bone at 50 grand. And uh, it's, it's just difficult to, to make that fiscally a film that makes money. Uh, if usually- if if you're working in the um, the current paradigm, right? If you're mm. working in the, the the current madness, as in, <laughs> instead of me calling it the system, if you work in the current madness, fifty thousand is very difficult to make um, money from, right? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe 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 it's kind of a thing where you you take you you, you have everyone work for free, which is something that is a curse, and mm-hmm. maybe it'll bite you because you'll end up whatever. You, you, you pay people very little. You put $30,000 into your talent. Mm-hmm. Put all as much money you possibly can into your talent. 
And that helps you in a lot of different levels. It helps you open a, you know, one of those, you know, one of those film festivals that likes name talent, even if it's someone who's, you know, not huge. I mean, at least somebody, you know, somebody you get for a day. Yeah. Someone for a day for five grand, they show up. Who's in your movie? Oh, this guy, you know. um, But then that goes against like, not against Ken, but I understand that, but it goes against what you're striving for, which is quality too. So it's not like, you know what I mean? Like, That's like you right. said, th- th- you're in that play where it's just like, I can create something and play to the system to make it work so that I have, so I can live another day to make the next film that eventually one day I might make that little, uh, something that means something to me for, in your case, it was seahorses. And I was wondering, um, with all this experience, like in, that you've had over the years, like being in Hollywood and being your father, being, you know, well-known character actor, you know, for many years and huge films mm. and television shows. What do you see is changing? Cause I'm actually curious. Cause like I said, you've had the experience working at the, the distribution company selling to DVDs and seeing that market change. And now the, the rise of video on demand, what do you, what do you foresee might be the future or what's going to break or change the, 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 the current, I like your term madness. <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I, I, I think that, well, I mean, again, maybe I'm, I, I hate to end this with a cynical pallor, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I mean, it, it definitely, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to spin it in a positive way. Okay. I'm not going to, let's not, let's not talk about doom and gloom. Um, I, I think that, okay. I'll talk about doom and gloom for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, please do. Let's do think, doom and gloom, but then I, 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 let's well, put well, the no, night. I mean, I mean the business is changing. I mean, the, there's, you know, filmmakers that, you know, that are, I mean, incredible filmmakers, people that made, that made, you know, some incredible works of art, incredible films can't make films right now. They mm. don't get, they, they're not getting their budgets. Um, you know, uh, People that make art films are embracing, you know, shock, you know, horror or what they call <laughs> elevated horror, whatever. I mean, people, everybody's trying to spin. Everybody's doing something in this business to try to make money. You know, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the dream has been, you know, the dream of the indie dream of making this like indie film that catches on and gets excitement. And, you know, while still alive is kind of in tatters, you know, I'm, I'm always shocked when you know you find out like you know some of these filmmakers that get films you know into the major festivals you know have trouble paying their rent um and you know that's in some ways you know these you know world class filmmakers you know a, a, a lot of them are um in in other countries are um supported by their governments yeah um and not here so you know we're you know a lot of the talent is going into television um, I mean, I, the, the concept of indie film, I mean, is, 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 is definitely morphing and changing. Uh, the, the lengths of films are getting shorter and shorter. Uh, you know, people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. People don't want to sit down and watch an hour, uh, an hour and a half movie. They'd rather watch something on YouTube for, you know, I don't know, 90 seconds. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the next thing. The next thing we'll just all make 90 second, uh, you know, things that, you know, clickbait. That's yeah. where the money is. Uh, well, but, it's, but it's, it's, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because, you know, we're talking about our friend Dave Bullis. Again, I'll make sure everybody gets the link to your your other interview with Dave, that you had with Dave, which is great because it fills in a lot of other gaps about your career. Um, but he had like way back, uh, I think last year sometime, 
uh, Sean Baker, who created Tangerine. Mm-hmm. And you were just saying that. Like, here's somebody who's an award-winning Sundance, a lot of buzz about the, the film shot in the iPhone on Tangerine. And, and he was on the, in the podcast interview just, you know, admittedly, you know, uh, going, yeah, I'm just trying to make rent. <laughs> Well, well, here's, here's the interesting thing too. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's funny. It's funny. Oh no, he's he's a great filmmaker. I love Starlet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that I think that well, well, that film too. There's all there's also uh, a little bit of smoke and mirrors going on with that film, and maybe that's also a posture. Oh, I'm just trying to make rent. Right. Yeah, I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't. You know, we don't we don't know. We haven't looked at his bank account. We don't know what his deals he's made. But but the, I, I do see some smoke and mirrors behind. Oh, we made a film with an iPhone. Anybody can make a movie. Just with their phone, what's in their pocket can make the movie. He had probably a lighting crew. He had a sound crew. <laughs> you know, he had... Yeah, they probably, had a... They probably took the film and they, they colored it. They, they probably did a lot of different things with the images that costs, you know, significant amounts of money beyond just shooting with the iPhone and editing on soft freeware software. So, so again, I, I think in, in some ways, you know, um, well, you know, it speaks from how kind of sad the indie film business is where you, a film can't just stand on its own. It's like, Oh, you made it with the iPhone. You can't just say, Hey, it's a great film. Come see it. It's funny. It's, it's real. It's, it's wild. Enjoy this movie. Like it, it has to have some kind of gimmick hook in order to get the eyeballs connected to it. So- That's interesting. I Yeah, I can see where if, if it was just a film, like this film, you know, I think it, it's, it's I, think it, I, I think it does stand on its own. I think there was that initial gimmick to get people in to look at it. Um, but, you know, it stands on its own as a very, you know, unique look uh, of that world on Christmas Day, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, um, you're right, but he, like you said, he 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 cashed into his unfair advantage. He worked with Greg the Bunny and uh, that world for a while. He had uh, an executive producer in the Duplass Brothers, so you know there was an end to the premiering at Sundance. You know through the right relationships and connections. Well, the, I think yeah. Star, didn't Star, Starlet played like South by Starlet played like a big festival too. So yeah, he, so he's he he, yeah. he's had the pet. Like you said, he had the un. In marketing, they call it that unfair advantage, which is fine. <laughs> because that's what he has. He took advantage of what he had to then level up. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting to hear that even somebody from from an outside perspective, all this trade papers, if it is indeed and true, which I do believe some extent it is, um, you know, where he's just trying to make rent, like just like he he's not living in like the lap of luxury where it's um, even some actors like, my God, I mean, I work up here in Portland as an actor and, mm-hmm. and I only know a few people that can do it full time and they supplement a lot of it um, uh, through modeling work because modeling pays like four times as much as acting work. Mm. And, 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 and I, and I, LA is the same sort of same way. You see a lot of actors, but you see them on TV all the time, but you know, it's, it's just, I think what it is is it's helpful for anyone who, it's so easy to get caught up in that dream of like, I made something, I'm, it's out there in the world, I want it to be accepted, I want it to get sold, uh, and if it gets sold or if it gets picked up, shouldn't the next thing happen is all the things that I'm dreaming about as opposed to, oh my gosh, I got to hit you know hit the, the pavement again and grind out another one and, and trying to figure out is there a different model that's evolving that could be very beneficial to those types of filmmakers that aren't going to succumb to making, like I said, the 
the, the schlock that sells internationally based off a one aspect of the business that seems to be like, well, we buy films. Like if we, if you and I can almost like start a whole new market and says, no, we buy, you know, I don't know, we buy good films, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, like that. But like, you know, if we could figure out a business model from that. Yeah. But what um, is good? Yeah. Right. Actually, that's a great good point because I actually wrote something about that. I said there's not – I had a podcast last year about that. It's like it's actually not good or bad. I'm sorry. I should really clarify. It should, does it have value? Because you were mentioning you have a friend that does the shark movies, tank, volcano movies, whatever it might be. Those have value to uh, a specific set of audience. And it doesn't matter watch, if it's good I or bad. I can watch more than like three minutes of those movies. Right. Without, without puking. Well, they, you know, what's that favorite movie that's out the, not, not the, uh, Sharknado, the, the Sharknado, but there's a one that was like the, supposed to be like the worst film ever made, uh, called Room or The Room. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, I, I had some kind of strange involvement with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about The Room. You're talking about the, the, uh, um, not the Oscar film, but right. Yeah, the, no, not, yeah. not the Oscar film. You're talking about what's his name, uh, uh, Oh wow! Oh, you're googling it right now, but yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm just I'm typing it out. Yeah, yeah. The uh, um, Tommy Wiseau. Yes. So that particular film, I mentioned, like it's like Dean is like the like the worst film ever made, but audiences come to theaters to enjoy this communal experience, to have an experience, and so it has value, and so maybe that's the 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 term that should be harked on is like. It's not whether or not your film is good or bad. Is does it have value? Does well, it have like, value that's, to? That's like the Ed Wood movies. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, you know, Glenn or Glenda and Plan Nine from Outer Space. Everyone, oh, the worst movies ever. They're not the worst movies ever. The, he, these people ha- I mean, in the room, they didn't have any money. They made a very low budget. They made very low budget films. The worst movies ever made are these big Hollywood, <laughs> Michael Bay style monsters. You know, movies where they have everything. And they still can't tell a story, and they still have bad performances, and there's CGI that's ridiculous and unrealistic. And I mean, those are the worst movies ever made because yeah. they had everything. They had they 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 have assistance for the assistance, you know, who have assistance, you know. I, I, so, but I, I mean, I mean, I quickly, I mean, we were touching on something interesting, and I hope that Sean Baker doesn't unfriend me on Facebook, but, <laughs> but. You know, this film, the film industry is based on perception. And I think we all need to know and step back from the perception and look behind the mirrors and the smoke. Okay. A lot of times someone's career is based on a narrative that's not true, but it's based on something that has some truth in it that a PR person spun a little bit. And then it's stuck, and then like, oh, you know, that Kevin Smith, you know, he he cobbled together his credit cards, or oh, you know, you know, Rodriguez, he made this little movie that, uh, you know, Blair Witch, you know, well, they made it for no money, you know, I mean, I mean, okay, okay, those films would be would be toiling in obscurity if it wasn't for huge marketing arms that just did some major major damage. And spent major money getting these films into the consciousness and the brains of people. Okay, nobody talks about that stuff. They just talk about the myth, yeah, the perception. So, so again, understand that there's perception. But again, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I, you get to a point where you can't have huge. I mean, if you're making a, a, a low budget, no budget, fun movie, 
you can't have huge expectations. Whatever you get, you know, hey, man, hey, oh, we got in this festival. Awesome. We won this award. Cool. You know, <laughs> let's, you know, maybe we'll get it out there. You know, let's put it out there. You don't, you know, unless, you know, you can, you know, I, I, I think unless you have like something so urgent and so important to say, um, you know, and, and I think that's important too. I, I think, I think, I think you, you definitely need to step back and evaluate what type of message you're saying, you know, and, and, and if you have that point of view that, that everyone needs to know, but, but still, even if you have the greatest film in the world, you need, and with, 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 with all the right timing and the right attachments or whatever, you still need other people, a machine forces that take it to that next level. You know, you can't do it all yourself. Yeah. Anyway. No, there you go. I think that's, <laughs> I think it's a best uh, place to like, you know, wrap up and, yeah. you know, just leaving that with people in terms of um, stop, think about the perspective, the perception mm-hmm. and, and then take away the smoke and mirrors and see what is there. And well, that, well, especially that, with social yeah. media, you know, you know, everybody, you know, spins their own tail. They're like, you know, they'll they'll take a picture of the beach on, you know, in, in Hawaii. Oh, having a great time in Hawaii. And they're 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 in North Hollywood, you know, <laughs> eating a can of beans. <laughs> so so like literally, you know, people create and spin any type of perception. I see that especially with actors, you know, they'll 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 put up, you know, all these great, beautiful pictures of themselves. I mean, you know, very rarely they show themselves right they wake up right in the morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's you know, I mean, so, so I, th- I think, I think the thing is, is to be successful on your own terms, um, and and we're all trying to figure out ways to make a living in in the business. And, and again, I, I I give you great uh, um, credit for for what you're doing with your podcast. I think, I, and and uh, I, you know, I, I think we 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 started with this the idea of like, you know, how you can turn filmmaking into a business because it definitely is a business mm-hmm. and people are making money and, and hopefully that could be you as well, you know? Right. Right. Well, thank you so much. And, um, I'll make sure to leave, uh, the links in the show notes, everybody can find it. But before we leave any last, the two places people can find, um, uh, information about yourself and, uh, seahorses, the movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely check the film out because I think it's a really interesting film to uh, um, for for especially people starting to make films. I think it, it shows what you can do for 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 less. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, I, I feel like uh, you know, there's a lot of things that the film has, like pr- really good production design, really good cinematography. Even though it's a small film, it it, it, it does it's very cinematic and beautiful acting. Uh, by, by our two leads, and and so it, I, I think it's it, it shows you what you can do for very little, but you can still tell a really interesting, compelling, nice story. Um, yeah, you can get it on get it on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Instant, uh, and then also um, there's links at seahorsesmovie.com. I think we have like a limited edition uh, Blu-ray you can buy on the website. And then uh, if you want to know more about me, uh, I have a, a website. It's jasoncartalian.com with a K. Uh, and uh, you can check me out. And I have a blog now that I've been putting some interesting information. And again, uh, um, I, I appreciate you having me here.
Hey, no problem. Thank you so much for taking your time and sharing all your stories. And, Thanks, and I loved it. Like, it's not a system. It's madness. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny. It's funny. You know, my, my dad's an actor mm-hmm. and uh, he was in uh, Planet of the Apes. And uh, I think uh, actually Charlton Heston said the line, but my dad is my dad's an ape and he's spraying <laughs> Charles. He's, he's Julius Keeper of the Cages, a cigar smoking mm-hmm. ape. And um, I think he's spraying Charlton Heston with a with a giant fire hose. Oh yeah, and uh, and I think Charlton Heston says it's a madhouse. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so that's, that, that's that's the my, clip we that's need. That's my depiction of the the film industry. But you know, it's a fun madhouse. You know, you know, I I think that we make the world interesting as filmmakers, are as fierce people that that tell our stories. We make the world interesting. Yeah, I like that. Hey, Jason, thank you so much. Thank you. It was great. I had a great time. That concludes my interview with Jason Cartalian and his film, Seahorses. In fact, you can find out more information over at seahorsesmovie.com. Now, if you like this episode or you like other past episodes of Film Trooper, think about leaving a ratings review over at iTunes. It definitely helps tremendously. So just go to filmtrooper.com forward slash iTunes. That would take you to the iTunes page. And you can leave a ratings review there. And again, it's greatly appreciated. But don't go away empty-handed. If you are stuck trying to make your film, then I encourage you to find inspiration by picking up a free gear guide over at freegearguide.com. Again, that's at freegearguide.com. And find out all the equipment I use to make a feature film without a crew. Again, that's at freegearguide.com. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you guys next time. Film Trooper, filmmaking freedom for the independent.